and 17. And before we get started, let's go to the Lord and ask Him to give us some help as we look at His Word. Heavenly Father, we come to You now and we ask You, Lord, that as we look at Your Word, that You would give us understanding of it. Help us to know that this is indeed Your Word, that every word here is the words that You want there, that Your Word is useful for us, that it teaches us and corrects us and trains us in righteousness. And so, Father, as we look at Your Word, we ask that You would use it to conform us more into the image of of Your Son, that we would be renewed and transformed by the renewal of our of our minds, that we can understand the, the greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, your gospel, that, that we would be motivated to unapologetically trust you, to be unashamed in our trust and our faithfulness to you as we look at your word and as we live our life. Father, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So in Romans in chapter 1, Going to be looking there in verses 16 and 17. So God's word says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. One of the things that sometimes we are prone to do as people is to be quiet about our faith, is to not speak much of our faith. After all, one of the things that we are often told not to talk about in gatherings or in family gatherings is what? There's like two main things, right? Religion and politics. And so that's one of those things, one of those uh, just assume truths that we have decided to live by in our life, that we are not to talk about religion, not to talk about our faith, even and no matter where we are, that, that sometimes we are to just be quiet and everyone else can voice their opinions, but if you're a follower of Christ, you should keep your mouth shut. And that, that right there is just not something that, that we are called to do as Christians. We're not called to, to be quiet. We're not called to be Timid, we are called to be kind and respectful and God-honoring and loving of our neighbor. Uh, but sometimes we live a life of, of shame for the gospel. And it may look like just being timid to speak of the gospel at work. Uh, when you're around your co-workers and opportunity arises, yes, you still need to get your job done. You're paid to do a job, so you need to get your job done. But as time arises, it, it, you may have the opportunity to be able to discuss the things of God and, and Sometimes we may kind of be timid of that because we don't want people to think we're just a bunch of Bible thumpers. We don't want people to think that we're a little, just a little bit of a, a holy roller or whatever it is. Uh, we may be, be shamed into just not wanting to speak much about it because, well, when we see what happens on TV and how, how Christians are portrayed in, in TV and on the news sometimes, we're oftentimes portrayed as kind of crazy. Uh, portrayed as as lunatics Uh, people in academia tend to say that if you're a christian then you just don't use your brain you don't use your head and so we can be shamed into believing that shamed into into thinking that for some reason it is intellectually dishonest to to follow christ i would say however that the bible says that truth is found in god that that's where truth is found 
And so Paul, when he's writing in, in this passage here, we need to understand exactly who Paul is first off. Because Paul was a guy who, who hated Christ. He hated Christians. He persecuted them. And then he got saved. And now he's working on behalf of God, on behalf of Christ, trying to share the gospel with as many people as he can, knowing full and well that one day he will likely die for that very reason. He will die for his faith. He is writing to Christians throughout the New Testament in many of the letters he's writing. He's writing to Christians that are facing persecution. Who are, and by persecution, I don't just mean that somebody wrote something mean about you on Facebook. Like That's, a, that's like a type of persecution. But I'm not talking about that type of persecution. I'm talking about the type of persecution where the, where the governing authorities would impel you with the spear, cover you in tar, and light you on fire just to light the streets of Rome. That happened during the time of Nero. They would impel Christians and use them as streetlights for the city of Rome. We're talking about that time period that Paul is riding into the lives of Christians who are facing all sorts of suffering, all sorts of tribulation they're going through. And he's writing to them, and he writes, and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I have no feelings of guilt. I have no feelings of regret. None of those things. I am unapologetically trusting of the gospel. And that's what, that's what he writes to his readers in this passage, is that he himself is unapologetically trusting of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is my hope that by the end of this, our time together this morning, as we look at God's word together, that you too can unapologetically trust the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many of you, I'm sure, do trust the gospel of Christ. And you're unashamed in that. And I hope that this year God just uses simply to, to strengthen that faith, to strengthen that boldness, to strengthen that courage for you to be able to live a life of unapologetic faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see here that there's two main reasons in this passage why Paul himself said that he unapologetically trusted the gospel. And we're going to dive into those things right now. And so at the very beginning of this, uh, Paul begins by just stating that he is, he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He, he says that there in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And we need to understand that by gospel, he literally means good news. If you go back to the very beginning part of this letter, he said that he is set apart for the gospel of God. Uh, there's a lot of good news that runs around, but there's only one good news that can save you. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul is saying he is unashamed in. He is unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the word ashamed there really means to, to feel or experience disgrace. And so he's saying, even though I've been shunned by my own countrymen at times, even though I am fleeing persecution at times, even though I have been shipwrecked and bitten by vipers and all these sorts of things that he experienced because he followed Christ, imprisoned, stoned, all those things, he says, I experience no shame. I experience no disgrace. I have no qualms with the gospel. I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He feels no shame. He feels no disgrace because the gospel of Christ. And why should he? Right? Why should he feel shame because of the gospel? I mean, we know that, that that is the good news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save mankind from their sins. That God himself placed the sins of all of us on his son so that we who simply trust in him without being able to keep his law, trusting Christ, are saved and forgiven of our sins. 
I mean, he, he was dying, he died, he was buried, he rose again, all to save us from our sins, to forgive us of our sins, and to give us this eternal life. And so Paul, he was a man who hated the church of God, he hated Christ, and now he says, praise be to God who saved me, who was the sinner of, above all. He said he himself, Paul believed himself to be a sinner above no one else, that he himself was the worst of the worst, the scoundrels of scoundrels. We remember in, in Acts in chapter 7, there was, a, there was a Christian who ended up being stoned. And, and they say that the people there, they just took their coats off and laid them at the feet of Saul or Paul as they sit there and watch them stone Stephen. Why? Because he enjoyed seeing Christians murdered. But now he's on the different side. Now he has seen the risen Christ. God has changed him and made him new all by his power. And so now he is unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even though he was one of the worst of the worst, God still saved him. And if God can save him, that means he can save anybody. That's what Paul argued. If God can save a person who persecuted God's own people, then God can save anybody. If anybody was an enemy of the cross, it was Paul. And yet God saved Paul. And so he says, I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he tells us why he is unashamed. Right there in verse 16, one of the first reasons that you can unapologetically trust the gospel is because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation. We read that right there in verse 16. For it is, for the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Anytime you see the word for, he's giving you a reason for something. And so he says, for it, talking about the gospel, is God's power for salvation. So the first reason you can unapologetically trust the gospel is because it is God's power. It is God's power for salvation. And that is plainly seen there in Romans 16 by what God's Word says is the power of God for salvation to everyone who does everything perfect. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? To everyone who, what? Believes. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are in the entire world, whether you're a Jew or not, the gospel of Jesus Christ means salvation for you if you believe in the gospel. So how is the gospel the power of God? To be honest, many times we give ourselves way too much credit for our, our own salvation. Uh, oftentimes when we talk about our salvation, we talk about all the things we've done. Well, I went to church. I've been baptized. I walked down the aisle. I said this prayer. I do the best I can. We say all these things about ourselves. And we give ourselves far too much credit and God not near enough. And that makes sense because we as people are, are very prideful. We like everything to be about us. We kind of like everything to be our way or the highway. And what we see in the scripture, though, is that our salvation is a work of God from start to finish. From the very beginning of it to the very end of our life, our salvation is a work of God. Even when we say that we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we trust the gospel, and we do, if we follow Christ, we trust, we trust the gospel, we need to understand that that belief, that trust, that faith is not even our own. It was given to us by God as a gift. 
And so even the faith that we have is given to us as a gift from God. And so when we look at the scriptures and even further into the book of Romans, in Romans in chapter 8, the Bible actually talks about God's power in our salvation. And so if you want to go ahead and turn over there with us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, on to the end of verse, I believe it is 30 or 31, it, it talks about how, how we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. And that's a really good news for us, right? Because if, if we follow Christ, if we trust Jesus, then everything we face in our life is working toward an ultimate goal in our life. Everything is working together for our good and God's glory. And then Paul goes on to write in those next verses kind of the chain of events that happens that leads to the point that God's trying to get us to. And so the point God's trying to get get us to is actually found there in, in verse 30 at the very end where it says glorified. That's God's goal for our life is that we would become glorified. Now here's the kicker. That doesn't happen until we get to heaven where we are completely freed from sin and the effects of sin in our life. And so the gospel's goal in our life is to produce that holiness in us, that glorification in us, where we get to see Him face to face. We have no sin in our life. That's the aim of the gospel, one of the aims of the gospel. But there's a route that gets us there. And in this route, we actually see God's power from start to finish in our own salvation. And so from God's perspective, this is what salvation looks like. And this is how we can see that God is the one at work in our lives. That it is the power of God for salvation. So there in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew. So it starts there. God loved us before the foundation of the world. That's what the word foreknow means. Uh, sometimes we like to think that God had it like a crystal ball and look through the halls of time and got to foresee people's faith. That's not what that word foreknowledge means. The idea of foreknowledge talks about how God loves us. It's a special type of love that God has placed on us before He even created the world. It comes from the same roots that we think of in, in the book of Genesis when it talks about how Adam knew his wife and bore a child. It's a type of intimate love is the way that it's portrayed here. And so God intimately loved us before the foundation of the world, even while knowing all of our sins. That's the crazy part. It's like he knows every sin that we would ever commit and yet still sent his son to die for us, knowing full well all the things that we would do. And so it starts with the fact that God knew all of our sins and he decided to love us anyway. And so because of the fact that he loved us, we're told there in verse 28, those whom he foreknew, those whom he foreloved, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. And so not only did God know us before the foundation of the world or love us before the foundation of the world, we see that he chose us, he predestined us to be conformed into the image of his son. And so before we were ever even born, God has chosen, if you have followed Christ, he has chosen you to be a part of his family. To be conformed into the image of His Son. And it says that those whom He predestined, He has also what? Called. That those whom He has predestined to be conformed to His image of His Son. Verse 30. He has also called. We think back to John in chapter 3. We have Nicodemus. He's talking to Jesus. And Jesus says, Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
And he's like, well, how can someone be born again? I can't go back into my mother's womb. How is that going to work? And, and then Jesus goes on to say that unless one is born of the Spirit and the water, they, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so when we talk about that word call there, uh, if you have ever trusted Christ, you're going to kind of understand what I'm saying here. The call is that, that working of God in your life when you begin to realize that you're a sinner who has broken God's law. When you realize that you have no hope in this life apart from Christ. You see, God's call in your life, he, he, there's this general call where everyone is called to turn and trust the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then there's also what we call the effectual call. And that's the call that's referred to here. And that is when God calls you and you respond in faith. It was effective for you. The Holy Spirit was moving in your life. And for some of us, it's like that. Where God just, he calls us that one time and it just, boom. And for some of us, it's a long drawn out process over 30, 40, 50 years of God drawing us to himself and convincing us of our need for him and undoing things that we once thought in order for us to see the truth and the power of the gospel in his life. And then those that he has called to himself, here's the crazy thing. Notice what it says here, verse 30, chapter eight. He has also justified. In other words, those whom he loved beforehand chose to be conformed into his image and called to himself. He de- declared them perfect and good. Now, are any of us actually perfect and good? In Christ, you are. Our own actions? No. But in Christ, you are. And that's the beautiful thing of the gospel is that somehow the power of God places God's righteousness on us and our sin on Christ so that we literally become righteous. That's like our identity now. That's who we are in Christ is holy and righteous and blameless. And throughout the course of our life, when we get to the end, we see that those whom he has justified, he also glorifies, sets free from sin forever with him in heaven, welcomed into his kingdom. He who began a good work to you, in you will bring it to completion at the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is the power of the gospel. God, from start to finish, has saved us by His grace and by His power. And Paul here, he understands that because he hated God and then all of a sudden Jesus showed up, knocked Him to the ground, blinded Him and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And called Paul to himself. And Paul became a follower of Christ that day. But can I tell you, it is no less miraculous whenever anybody else trusts the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because none of us should be able to. The Bible says we, we hate God. We don't seek after God. That Our hearts are spiritually dead. Where His enemies were hostile toward Him. And yet somehow, we come to a place in our life where we trust in Jesus. And how is that? Because God Himself has been pursuing us. God Himself pursues us and shows us Himself and calls us to Himself. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we move into Romans in chapter 3 in a few weeks. But for us to understand this morning the power of God, we got to understand the fact that we often give ourselves too much credit and God not near enough. The Puritan preacher Jonathan Edwards once said, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. God in His great love, grace and power 
has made all of us who are dead in our sins alive in Christ Jesus. And friends, that is the power of God. That is the power of God. And so do you see God's power in your life? Do you trust Jesus? If you're trusting Jesus, you're walking and talking miracle. God has made you alive in Him. And your faith, your faith is your own that He has given you. So please continue to trust Christ. Because God in His power has has brought you from spiritual death to life. He has, by His kindness, made you a part of His family. He has, by His kindness, by His grace, brought you into the kingdom, even though you were His enemies. And so we can believe the truth that the gospel is indeed the power of God for salvation. And because of that, we can unapologetically trust the gospel no matter what anyone else tries to tell us, no matter how anyone else tries to say that, that we may not actually be a follower of Christ, because guess what? It's all God's doing anyway. He has done it for us. We just simply believe. Because in the power of the gospel, we actually also see the righteousness of God. And that's the next reason why we can unapologetically trust the gospel. Notice there, verse 17, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. That word righteousness simply means perfect goodness. So in the gospel, the perfect goodness of God is revealed. But how does it reveal the gospel? Because if anything, it seems like it might be some sort of injustice because we get to get off scot-free. So how does that work? How is it that we can do all the evil we want to and simply come to a point in our life where we turn from that and trust Christ and be forgiven? That seems too simple. Seems like we should have to pay something for it. But that's the point. It really is that simple. Because God himself paid our penalty. And if we look in Romans in chapter 3, he, he kind of breaks it down a little. He mentions the same thing. 21, but the, now the righteousness of God, Romans 3, 21, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. So there was a misconception that in order to uh, be a righteous person, you had to keep the law perfectly. But rather the law was to be used to point you to the righteousness of God. And the fact that God alone was righteous. But there are times in our life where we try to compare ourselves to other people or we try to compare ourselves to, to the Ten Commandments and try to say, yeah, we're righteous. we got to figure it out. We're good. When all, in all reality, it's meant to point us to the fact that only God is good and we need a Savior. And so we see now that this righteousness is now apart from the law. It's in faith in Christ. Why? Because 23 tells us all of us have sinned. We've all broken God's law. There is no distinction. But we are justified by His grace, by God's kindness, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then he says, God put forward Jesus as a propitiation by His blood. The idea there, propitiation, is basically He took the fall for us. He was the fall guy. It's like if we were all running in to rob a store and there was a bystander that was walking by and we ran in and we smashed and grabbed and we took everything out and beat up and killed some people in the process, ran out and they showed up and there was this guy who had nothing in the world to do with it. And he said, just take me, I'll take the penalty. That's kind of the way that we see Jesus in this scenario. We did the crime. We deserve the death penalty. We deserved all the fines. We deserved it all. 
And yet Jesus laid on Christ the sin of us all, the iniquity of us all, so that Jesus himself became a curse for us. We who were cursed became blessed, and he who is blessed became cursed by simply taking on our sin. He is our propitiation. And so he who is God, who is perfect, took on our sins, paid for our sins on the cross, and we become his righteousness to be received by faith. And so when we trust Christ, what happens is we take on the coat of his righteousness and we wear it everywhere we go. Doesn't mean we're perfect. We're not. We strive to do better. We strive to honor God, not to get into heaven just because we want to say thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. But we put on the coat of his righteousness, his perfect goodness, and walk all the days of our life in faith. Because as we see Paul say right there at the end, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is not a new idea to the New Testament because that phrase there, the righteous shall live by faith, is quoted from Habakkuk 2, 4 in the Old Testament. On top of that, throughout the book of Romans, you're going to see how Paul goes back to the Old Testament and explains how the people of the Old Testament receive their righteousness by faith in God, by faith in the promises of God. And so righteousness has always been by faith alone in Christ, the Messiah alone, according to God's word alone, for the glory of himself, God alone. We can unapologetically trust the gospel because the gospel is the power of God that gives us his righteousness. That any goodness that we have is not our own. It's the goodness of Christ that he has given us. When we walk around this world, we walk around with his righteousness on us. When God looks at us, He sees our right, our our righteousness, and by that I mean Christ's righteousness that He has given to us. Christ took our sin, we take His righteousness, and because of that, we too can live unashamed of the gospel. Because we're going to go through this life, and there's going to be people who play devil's advocate on our behalf. And what I mean by that is, they're going to be accusing us of all sorts of things. Uh, did you know that, like the people who die in the New Testament? and were persecuted. They were not persecuted as Christians. That's the reason. But they were often persecuted as insurrectionists that were causing issues, even though they weren't. They were just trying to worship God. They were persecuted as enemies of the state and those things. The world will defame us and defraud us and call us all sorts of names, all because we follow Christ. And you're going to have people in your life that do the same thing. who are going to try to take away uh, the joy of your salvation that you have. You're going to try to say, well, I know what you've done. I know what you do. I know all these things. And here's what you can tell them. Well, dear friends, I guarantee you I'm a whole lot worse than you even know, but thank God for His grace in Jesus Christ. Thank God for His grace in Jesus Christ. We don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to defend our reputations because our reputations belong to God. We simply trust Him with all of it and live a life unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much. We thank You so much that the Gospel is the power of You for salvation. That, that, that You 
look down on man and you are mindful of us, that you aren't just mindful of us, but that you made a way for us to come to know you, that by simply living our life in faithfulness to you, that you have saved us and you have made us your own, that we are bought with a price, that, that we are forgiven, that we are saved by no doing of our own, but by simply trusting in you. Father, that's great news because I know me personally, I'm not perfect. I've sinned against you and I know everyone in this room is the same way. We've all sinned against you. And so, Father, we are thankful that you yourself offered the perfect sacrifice in our place. That you yourself gave your son to pay the penalty of our sins. That we simply believe that your son paid for our sins. That he rose from the dead. And that we're forgiven by faith alone in what you have done through Christ. Father, that is the power of the gospel and we are thankful for that. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to live unashamed of that truth, that we would not be tore down by the ways of this world, that we would not be tore down and distracted by what other people might say, but, Father, that we would live a life of unapologetic faith, unashamed faith in you, trusting you each and every day of our life, knowing that it is not before man that we must give an account but before you. And thank you, Lord, that when we get an, give an account before you, that you simply say, your debt has been paid in full by the blood of my son, Jesus. Father, we thank you in Christ's name for these truths. Amen. Amen.